Major League Baseball is finally back. As the new season gets underway, the Ringer Podcast Network has baseball fans covered with the Ringer MLB show playing exclusively on the TuneIn app for the month of April. On top of that, the Ringer Podcast Network has partnered with TuneIn to give baseball fans a free 30-day trial of TuneIn Premium to listen to every live home call from every MLB game around the league. Catch the Ringer MLB show only on TuneIn during April, and with your premium subscription, listen to live MLB games on TuneIn. Just go to TuneIn.com slash Ringer and subscribe, download the TuneIn app, and start listening today. Tune in, your everything audio app. Hey guys, today is a very special episode of The Watch. Andy and I were joined by Jason Manzoukas, one of our favorite actors. You can see him on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The League. He was briefly in Gilmore Girls, as he's happy to tell us. Jason came by to talk to us about television. We talked a little bit about the end of Legion Season 1 and the possibility of True Detective Season 3, where we just lost our minds about David Milch and Deadwood and Luck and all the things that David Milch has ever done. So it's a very long Legion talk, a very long David Milch talk. It was a really fun episode. Thanks for listening. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor for TheRigger.com and I am joined in the studio, of course, by my favorite mutant, Andy Greenwald. I'm not, I thought you were going over here. We have a guest today who's, your, who's my favorite Introduce mutant. Introduce our guest, man. Joining us today. Two times. This is the second time. I hope he understands he's family now. <laughs> he's, he's in. It's, he's in blood in, never blood out. Jason Manzukas, welcome. <laughs> What's happening, boys? What's up, man? We Thrilled are, to be here. We are so excited you could join us here just uh, on, on a Thursday. Yeah. It's wonderful. Oh, yeah. Middle of the day on a Thursday? We love having you here. It's you a are dream come true. More professional than we are. You brought your own cans. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't use them. You brought we didn't them. use them, but I brought them. Here's the, here's the, here's the deal. What, uh, do, what do I want? Other people's weird, creepy ear shit? <laughs> you definitely don't. You know who sat in that chair? Do you know how many people come in? I mean, here, less so. But, like, where I do my podcast, there's the volume of sweaty, yeah. gross people that go in <laughs> and use those headphones, and then everybody just walks in and is like, I guess I put these on. Do you work mostly in a, a CrossFit podcast? Yes. <laughs> it's all it's giant tires yeah. and, and podcasts. Yeah. Wow, and, and, and sudden vomiting <laughs> yes. for both reasons. Absolutely. Um, here's the deal. Here's why we invited you, other than, again, seriously open-door policy. Absolutely. I'll be um, here every Thursday. Please. Uh, Legion ended last night. Yeah. Legion is the FX television show Sorry, that, what's that? Sorry. I worked on. Chris yeah. has never seen. And this puts us in a weird pickle. Sure. Because I worked on it, so I feel a little bit odd about talking too much about it. Sure. Uh, as, as, we, as I just mentioned, Chris has never seen the show. He's unfamiliar with it. I've seen, uh, come on. And, and Jason, being an incredibly nice guy, you told me that you had watched the show. Yes. I've confirmed now that you have seen all eight episodes. I have indeed. So we wanted to talk about it. And I feel like with this motley assortment of points of view, worked on it, have watched it, literally doesn't know what I'm talking about. I, have I think a, it's a perfect triangle. I have a further disclaimer. Oh. I oh. auditioned for this show. Really? No. Yes. I auditioned just for, just for for absolute transparency. For, for, for no for Patani. No, for Patani. Yes. Here's how I know this. Yes. Didn't know this. <laughs> but here's why I could guess this. Yes. Because when I was working on the show, occasionally we would get to see audition tapes. Sure. And I knew that Patani for a, for a time was written for a comedian with a beard. <laughs> and uh, you know, when they couldn't find one that was good enough, God damn it. they recast it. God damn it. No. Oh man! Yeah, I, I auditioned. I was and I was very excited. There are there have been very few things 
that uh, I see announced yeah. that I then tell my agents I desperately want to yes. be to just in do this. something in there. Yeah, Please, whatever, like, whatever. Thursday's podcast. Yes, and and they <laughs> the all, watch exactly re-up. the watch reup. I want to talk about uh, whatever we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but and this and Legion truthfully was one of them because a. This is like my straight down, like speedball down the middle for me growing up. Yeah. Uh, like Chris Claremont, Bill Sienkiewicz, like huge oh, wow. in my life. I didn't even realize this. And you then, even know how to say Sienkiewicz. Absolutely. I met them I met them both a couple of years ago at really? New York Comic Con and yeah. was like I had the experience of the wonderful experience of, of being famous enough that nerds kept coming up to me to be like, oh my God, yeah. I love you. Yeah. And then for me to then turn around to Bill Sienkiewicz and be like, oh my God, I love you. Pay right. it forward. And really have Beautiful. that full experience. Uh, so this was a huge show for me. And I was like, please, I'll audition for anything. Wow. And I did, and I did not get it. So <laughs> I don't know if people <laughs> noticed, I did not get the point. <laughs> Spoiler alert, the man in the fat suit was you. <laughs> What was your experience like? Did you read for Noah or were you no. just in a... No, nope. I tape, just went to... It? Yeah, I went in for casting and uh, who did it? Uh, oh, we're calling out names. I can't remember who was the casting director. Uh, it, it, I went in for the casting and and, and, wow. and read through it and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. And I, I do know that you then, you read the sides that ended up in the script. In in episode yes. two, yep. there is a scene... His, his speech about who, like what his power set is basically. Yeah, there's a scene where, and we, you know, this was... For I, I still don't understand why in episode two, uh, Patonomy and David are crouched in what appears to be a sort of um, uh, bonsai tree uh, sculpture yep. drinking milk. And that was the audition sides for yep. Patonomy. It was. Wow, road not taken. I know, right? Well, that wow. kind of actually opens up the first question. This is a good first is, question. To what start is with. Legion? What yeah. is it on? <laughs> is, you guys are talking about a show, I just take it. No. Um, one of the things that was interesting about this show is that I think it actually subverted somewhat the tradition of comic book storytelling because Absolutely. typically what happens in comic books is the exposition comes along with everything else as the story goes along. Mm-hmm. So they're even taking breaks in the middle of scenes to just be like, by the way, you can catch up on this on episode sure. issue 112 or of The Amazing X-Men. Oftentimes right. books now start with a previous yes. page mm-hmm. you right. know, just to, because there is such a dense narrative that they're building off of that they're always letting you in, right. you know? And I said to Andy today, I was like, I kind of feel like a herb because my favorite episode of Legion was seven, which was the most expository, ex- like, you know, it's like kind of the explainer post of yeah. this show. It was the Vox.com episode. But I loved the flair with which it went through all those yeah. steps. Like, I kind of like and really enjoy the classroom scene and all the scenes where they're kind of explaining what's happening in the show, but with the same visual panache that had that it had in the earlier part of the season. And I- and I always, even though I felt like the show, the series, was intentionally obtuse and difficult at times to follow, I never felt as though it's not, it doesn't know what it's doing. I never felt like, oh, this is weird, or yeah. they're, they're just great. Like, I never, you know, not to take shots, I never felt about this show the way I felt about Westworld, which was, I don't think they know what's going on this right now. This is a now. safe place to take shots at Westworld. You know what I mean? This like, is a fine room for that. You were some sort of the home crowd here. <laughs> and, and so I, I never felt nervous. It never made me nervous. You know, like I come from an improv background and there's nothing worse than an improv show that's going poorly because you're like, oh, not only is this not good, but I know they don't know where they're going. Right. So it's unlikely to get better. This is why I think in among other things that are changing changing in the industry, one of the reasons why established showrunners will continue to be 
as big superstars as some actors because to make the journey on a show, which is essentially that's what it is now, even if it just dumps on Netflix 10 hours, 12 hours, it's a journey. You have to trust the person yeah. behind, behind the wheel. And if you don't, and if that person shows rookie mistakes or you see the fear in their eyes, you bail after an episode or two. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. think that's where, like, to your point of, like, people having access to all episodes all at once, I think you're only encouraging people to give up quicker. Yes. Because it might be only that one time they sit down to give it a chance. Yeah. And they give two or three episodes a chance. And then they're like, no, I'm out. Yeah. Versus two or three episodes over two or three weeks interspersed with talking to friends about it or whatever, mm-hmm. any kind of, you know, um, continued interest might be built right. out of that. Cultural that, momentum. Yeah, that kind of goes away. I wonder whether or not this would have... I, I, I'm starting to try to develop a theory of, like, what works as binge TV and what works as, like, serialized or week-to-week television. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, for, for binge television, it helps if it's just, like, we have one question we need to answer. You know, it's like there is a central mystery that needs to be answered. You can finish this mm-hmm. mystery as fast or as slow as you want to. But for something like Legion, where it's much more like this, you know, origami bird of a of a plot, and you have to like unfold it little by little, and you notice different things. I don't know that I would have been able to like get through it in in two sittings. You know, it's it's filling. It's yeah. a visually and yeah. sensory, a sensorially filling meal. Well, in that same way that I would not turn off 2001 and start Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> That's a wild night. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it has, like, these episodes are dense. Yeah. And they are, like, purposefully, like, difficult to process, I, I feel. And, and in a way in which you don't have the complexity of narrative that, say, uh, Game of Thrones has, where... You can just keep through. Okay, now we're just going to go over to Dorne. Now we're just going to go over here. Now yeah. we're going to do that. But without that kind of, without all those avenues to go down, you are really just Legion works as honing in on something, not building something out. Right. It, the noisiest episode is the first. Yes. In a lot of ways. Um, so you outed yourself as a comic book fan. Yes. I was as well. Um, I have mentioned before on this show, and I think when I talked to Noah the other week too, we did not talk about comic books. He is not so a comic book fan. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we, you know, I think there was a copy of a graphic novel in the writer's room that was ne- that never left our assistant's desk. It's also, yeah, well, yeah, go ahead. But that, my question, I, I think you probably guessed it. As a comic book fan, yeah. how did you relate to this? What did you like about it? Because I think that there was some concern, because we've, we've reached this point in, in the culture where comic book stories are paramount. Sure. But they are paramount in a certain way. People expect them to be told a certain way, and they expect that the quote-unquote fanboy audience needs to be serviced in a certain way. This show did none of that and still seems to have resonated. Well, well later on it did. Yeah. But at least from Jump, it, show, it it appeared to show no interest in that. Sure, right, yeah. It's interesting because I feel like I have, I have even though I love Claremont and Sienkiewicz and this is built out of like my all-time favorite kind of New Mutants X-Men era of mm-hmm. storytelling is like what I like grew up obsessed with. Legion specifically, David Heller specifically is a character I don't really like. And yeah. is an archetype of characters that I don't really like. How come? Because he is um so powerful as to be almost pointless. Right. You know what I mean? And as a result, the the you know, they cripple him with you know, like severe mental illness yeah. in a, in a, in the books. I mean, in a somewhat interesting way. And what I feel like this show did correctly was focus on mental illness. Like it almost reversed the, yes. the, um, the, the percentages and focused more on the mental illness in a way that I thought was much more interesting and much more of a, 
a door into understanding a character than if they just introduced David Heller, like Omega level mutant. Sure. Like this is like like they say in the last episode, he's a world killer. And that's what that's what he is, or that's what the molecule man is. These are people for whom their power set is so grand as to have made them insane. And then also to use them in storytelling becomes almost pointless or moot. That's why they frequently, Legion and Molecule Man and, and a couple of others, are frequently just discarded. Yeah. And hidden. Like, you know, and for and then 15 years later, somebody will be like, well, I've got an idea for, you know, Legion to come back. And yeah. so suddenly they find Legion and he's been in a coma for 10 years. And, <laughs> right. And whatever, you know. But I think that that's a good example of why the show may have worked. It, because um, Noah's way into it was that of a not of a comic book fan necessarily he wasn't interested in the powers he was interested in the um the metaphors and the yes. analogies and the mental illness for everyone that was the first that was the most important thing and then in sort of went at it in an almost backwards way as opposed to the slavish Which devotion to much more interesting what the characters are so, quote unquote supposed to be because they've been this way forever and it's like building a superhero team what could be more interesting than building a superhero team out of a mental institution right yeah you know rather than like we're making the team yeah. bah, 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 you know like it was <laughs> I, I, that's what I really liked about the show is that it focused on like true human vulnerabilities and stuff that was that was accessible as a viewer, whether or not I think you had read the books or were familiar even with superhero archetypes. I think it still works. It's challenging for like it, it actually does remind me the Legion does remind me a lot of X-Men in that it has a lot of its own complicated inner logic that mm-hmm. it requires it requires at once, I guess, suspension of disbelief, but also a full investment into, where well, yeah, this is the astral plane. But then in the astral plane, there's also this ice cube. And then in the ice cube, there's also this. You know, and it, mm-hmm. all these rules that happen within these basically non-physical spaces that we're looking at, um, that actually, once I gave into those things, it was much easier to understand. I think in the first few episodes, I was like, I just don't, where's true north here? You yeah. know, and I think that that actually was <clears throat> the right way to think about it because in, later in the season, there's kind of, and this is something I want to get to, but this idea of the, this reveal that everything you've seen is not actually what you've seen. And I will say that, um, it, and I feel okay saying this because Noah himself said this when I spoke to him, we spoke get to him the other week. You know Noah Holy Jesus. I just don't, don't want to get in That's any trouble here. That's the guy who did Fargo, right? Yeah, he did. <laughs> cool. he did. And the unusuals with Jeremy Renner. Um, I just don't want to get in trouble, guys. Um, he said uh, uh, very clearly that the challenge of doing this show in a traditional way with a traditional writer's room was that the writer's room's jobs generally are breaking story or fixing story, mm-hmm. you know? And, and he's saying this and you're just like stroking your beard like, yes. I was like, no, I was like, yeah, it was really hard and basically impossible to do this job, but it was really fun because he's he would be like, yeah, there's Astral Plane or um, this is, you know, the Ice Cube actually is the thing that came in even after I was gone, but these ideas that don't quote unquote make sense and then he would leave them in the room and then he would go to Vancouver to do um, to do like prep for directing the thing and then what are you supposed to do with that because it's purely on his gut and feel and what he wants to show you can't make it make sense it can only go on the sort of going back to like young Pope it can only go on like the the nuns playing basketball made sense to Sorrentino and so it made sense to us as an audience you can't can't group think that to death what do you think about? So I read this interview with Noah Dame Vulture. Um, it's my second favorite Noah Hawley interview that I've, that's, I've even um, come across. That's Noah Hawley's talking about. By <laughs> yeah, the, way. Yeah. Um, the big enchilada. But they talked a lot about this NH. idea of basically—it's not quite pulling the rug out from people, but it's 
almost like punishment TV. It's like I'm going to basically be very demanding of you. It's it's a, an experience of television that I don't think we have very often, especially for something that's supposed to be nominally about a superhero, which is like this idea that you're going to like really push audiences as far out as you can and then yank them back to what you what they think they want. You know, and that is sort of what mm-hmm. happens in episode seven, especially with like the chalkboard rendering of our story. And it's kind of like it is a comic and it is Professor X, yeah. you know, and it looks like him. And there's even a Patrick Stewart imitation that happens, which, by the way, I was surprised about. Right. I, I, I thought during my time on the show, my uh, my thought was that we were going to be going as far away from that as possible okay. to the point of maybe even never even acknowledging it. Um, and then did you think sense. the backlit or like the silhouette of the dad talking to him in his bed earlier in the season was about as far as like the suggestion would go or during my working on the show I mean we always knew what the character the comic book character's history was but we just never got I mean, into I it I guess we should say spoilers for the X-Men storyline but yeah, Legion but I, David Heller is yeah, Charles I, Xavier's I think son. That, yeah, yeah. And it was it was kind of hit on they, the head. They, they showed the wheelchair, which yeah, I did yeah. not. That was not in the cards. The one which I was, I was surprised by. But then still also was like, I wonder if people will make that connection even still. Yeah. You know, what if Brett Ratner was like, what's happening? in this show? <laughs> Brett Ratner tented his somewhere in a Just hot tub. Brett covered Ratner in shrimp. Came out of a teepee yeah. <laughs> with a tuna beard. And he was just like, tell me more. Take me to Sushi Park. <laughs> Get Kelsey Grammer on which, the phone. Which We're getting of, the team back together. Which meaning of tuna beard are you using? That's my favorite Lord of the Rings character. <laughs> he does get the ring. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> I'm so ashamed what we're talking about. Oh, um, Charles Xavier is Legion's dad, um, which I thought was, you know, is a very interesting thing. And I, I like that it's tied in to the Marvel Universe or, or to the X-Men Universe, rather, not Marvel. Um, but I'm, I'm. If they never return to it, I don't care. Yeah, I think, I'm not looking for. I think that's the goal. Somebody to show up. I'm not looking for like, uh oh, here's Colossus. And, and, Hooray! And, and what you're speaking to actually is, I think, one of the main problems of the comic book shows that are the other comic book shows that are on TV. Sure, like the DC ones. The DC ones, or even the Marvel Netflix ones, to a degree. And oh, some yeah. of them are good, and some of them are great, and some of them because over 13 episodes are 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 good and great and also bad. Sure. But they, all of them, at times, feel like they are advancing corporate interests, or which is the cynical way to say it, or they're advancing um, unified universe storytelling interests. Yes. They exist because the other ones exist. Yeah. To and make these Easter eggy connections. Yes. And they exist to make more exist. Yeah. Right. And so, and that was the argument around Iron Fist, which I haven't even made, I haven't even made time to watch. But it seems like they made that show because they said they were going to make that show because yeah. they're making a show because they want to make defenders. Because they want to make the defenders. Yeah. Right. The and goal Iron would be, Fist, by the way, Iron Fist. A really great series of the the Brubaker faction. The Brubaker faction are, are, are great. Oh god! But so I immediately upon them starting this was like this. They should not do. Yeah. They should. This is not right. how they should do this. You it's, know, it's just not right. But yeah. they're doing it because they need to do it. So yeah. I think the goal is to be like, okay, cool. Maybe he is Charles Xavier's son. But why? We're not in any hurry. Yeah. Who cares? There's a story here. So I want to know, Chris. For me, I want to know what you think. I wonder what you thought, having watched this show. And now, specifically just, about Andy's work on yeah. it. Yeah. No, I want to know just what you thought the of it as, writing as, as, was as a show. <laughs> the co-producing really no. struggled. So what did I think of Legion? Well, I'm just curious. You, you When I, we last talked about it, I don't mean to put you on the spot no, here it's okay. on our podcast, but, uh, but when we last spoke about it, you had only seen some and then you finished it. 
as a season of TV. Because the takeaway that I most agreed with, I think, and this was, I'm not just saying this because it's in the family, but the ringers Allison Herman tweeted about it basically being like, I didn't think it was that confusing. If you look at it, it actually was a superhero show. Well, that's sort of what I was getting at. With and like, I, and, and yeah. I think that's right. And mm-hmm. I think that the one of the ways- It's no more sh- confusing than reading Age of Apocalypse or reading about- It's less confusing. Or reading about Cable. You sure. Know what I mean, like, yeah. Uh, but it had all these visual flourishes and things. And I feel like, for, to me, what was exciting and made sense about that is- the, the, the great advantage of genre storytelling is that it's elastic, that it's springy, that, you know, we talk about this with British crime shows. Like, it's always disappointing when the murderer is revealed. But the, the, the twists and turns and, and stylistic things you can do along the way of this track that people are already used to being on, that's where the excitement can come in. Yeah, I mean, I thought visually it was dazzling. I kind of have to say, like, Dan Stevens is one of my favorite actors. I really liked him in The Guest anyway, and I, I've really enjoyed it. I only know him from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> he's, he's he's really I didn't know he had worked otherwise <laughs> he thought he only worked with large percentage well, I just yeah. assumed he was like another Andy Circus kind he, of guy he's right. bison so he, heads. just a motion capture kind of person he's known as the third ape in War for the Planet of the Planet of the Apes um, <laughs> he's amazing and I I think that uh it, I found the first half of the season kind of mentally challenging like yeah. exhausting and I found the second half of the season like totally exhilarating what uh because we should be some servicey to some degree yeah. um season finale um thoughts end of the season just purely purely as a there was uh I, I i really enjoyed it there was a point where i was like we've been inside too much you yes. know there was a point where i was like ooh i feel like these last couple of episodes have been i oh first of all what i loved truly about the finale was the First, uh, the Hamish Linklater yeah. uh, um, so backstory cool. uh, of his uh, being burned and recovering and his having this husband and child who loved him and like humanizing this otherwise villainous character in a way that was wonderful. And then once again, allowing him to be a villain, allowing yes. him to move forward and continue to be a villain, which I really enjoyed. That was something that was in the room that people really were passionate about. Not in that form, but yeah. there was always going to be. Too, I was really glad there was still time for that. That is a, a, a kind of, to some degree, a Fargo trick of like the switch of perspective and the embellishment of a seemingly innocuous character. Yeah, there I was, was I there was, was a, about that too. That's and it's also a bit from the first Austin Powers movie, <laughs> where yes. where they kill a henchman of Doctor Evil's and then it cuts directly to a woman in a suburban house getting a call that her husband has died at work, and her. <laughs> you know what I just freaking recently out revisited? about it. I, I just revisited the Invisibles because it was in the Invisibles too. Grand oh, Morrison's maybe. Comic book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Austin Powers. Was Have the you spent yet. much time with um, Will Ferrell's performance in the Austin Powers movies? Not really, because it's pre-Anchorman, and it yeah. is like wild that he gets like like five full minutes to do a bit in when he, this. When he's dying in the yeah, pit, and he's just like, like, like I'm falling into this pit. <laughs> yes. it's very hot. <laughs> like <laughs> they knew. Yeah, they knew. They knew. They gave him a little. They gave him a little room to shine. Oh, yeah. Um, I agree with that. I really, I really that loved opening. that. I like, I loved that setup in that opening. Um, but then there was a period where I felt like the the previous episodes had been building and building. Yeah. And then we once again got into a situation where it's like, oh, we need to have David be unconscious again, like in a bed, strapped down. And yeah. I was like, oh, ah, I get it, but like, I kind of wanted this to keep building out now. Yeah. One thing that I will say that is exciting, I think, going forward. What did you think at the end of the season? Well, I think. I mean, I know you can't give it a grade, but like, were you like, that was like. It's interesting because the it was very different in many ways from what I had worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, my work barely even got as far to the end of the season when I was working on the show. Um, it 
ended with something that I knew the, the end and sort of where we were headed the next season it was was always there and I was excited to see that some of the how the things happened changed around but honestly to, to Jason's point I agree and I do not mean to disparage our wonderful neighbors to the north we may all need to be seeking shelter there sooner rather than later but there was a feeling of a little bit of claustrophobic Vancouveriness to it at uh-huh. the end um, the sets and the settings where they were and I'm very excited that thanks to the munificence of Los Angeles County tax breaks, the show is moving to Los Angeles oh, next great. year. Oh, dope. Which I think generally um, tends to have a, a, a good aesthetic effect on shows when they film here rather than in, unless they're, honestly, and I, I don't mean to disparage Vancouver, which is a beautiful city, but none of the shows that film in Vancouver are like, we're in Vancouver. No, yeah. How great to take advantage of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, they're all like, trucks. They're yeah. all like, we're anywhere. We're in New York City. This is New Jersey. We're the place where you, where we said we are. <laughs> so th- moving to a different place and then also setting up a, a more of a road story as opposed to being in a place that is could be misconstrued as a Xavier's Institute. I think we'll open it up yeah. in the way you're saying. But the bigger problem was this. Like the most interesting parts of the show were in someone's head. And yes. so when the when the plot mechanisms demand that you actually rip interesting things out of someone's head, then it's hard to it's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason, how much are you allowing yourself to consider various X-Men storylines that could be season two? I'm not really because I'm for me, there are not many Legion based X-Men stories that I want told. Right. You know, and I'm much more heartened by the fact that it doesn't seem like that's where they're going, that they are, or maybe they are, I don't know. But, like, I'd rather them continue forward with what they've set the kind of table and see how this plays out. Yeah. Than I am, like, ooh, I hope they do, like, the, you know, I don't, I don't get it. That's the thing is, like, I don't even know many There's been blog posts today. Stories. There was one saying, like, the Muir, the Muir Island oh, saga from yeah. Uncanny X-Men and X-Factor. I didn't even My, I, I, I know nothing. Other than to say, I really wouldn't count Other on Other than it. to say, like, yeah, fucking like, Logan is back. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously, I'm going to Jackman strapping him on one more time. Uh, last two questions before we move on to the topic that the other two gentlemen in the room are very excited to talk about. MVP of the season for each of you guys. Uh, you said Dan oh, Stevens. Yeah, I don't Stevens. know if that's your... It's Stevens. This right. has to be, it has to be DS? has to be the Beast? I, I mean, listen, I think he's great. For me, yeah. the person that when he arrived on screen, I cheered yeah. was Bill Irwin. Me too! Always. Thank you. So and good. forever. So good. Bill Irwin. So good. Really, really enjoyed Jermaine Clement, but often found it like just like his bits were always coming like at a point where I was like, I really need to know what's happening here. Yeah, <laughs> you don't so, want you don't want to cut right now. And his obtuseness yeah. was almost problematic. Yeah. You know, finally, um, this is an audio medium, so this might be challenging, sure. Jason. But you are a professional. You're a performer. You're. This is what you do. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just wondering if you could just give us a taste of the milk drinking and Tommy gun. Uh, firing that you would have brought to the role of autonomy <laughs> had things broken your way. Oh man, it, I would have. Actors make choices, you know. I, oh, so, listen, I'm not. I'm. I'm only not going to engage in this only because I think that the actor who Jeremy Harris, Jeremy Harris, who is playing autonomy, is phenomenal. Yeah, he's very and, good. And and anything I would have done would be I- irrelevant in the face of what he's doing, which is fantastic. It's very artfully said. Very politely very said. Um, we don't accept that, but we will allow <laughs> I, it. I have and, one question and, for you. Yeah. What is your favorite Noah Hawley moment? Oh God, so many, so many, <laughs> mostly just laughs, you know, just out, out on the back deck after a long day drinking, like, yeah. uh, drinking wine coolers and just reminiscing. Just over a the, couple of Mike's hard lemonades <laughs> with the boys. Just, we would just crack a just couple cans. Looking and we'd over just at the about, Vancouver skyline and being like, that could be anywhere just we Just getting into the Hollyverse. And then the last day I looked at him, you know, uh, we both had our aviators on at the time. Yeah. You know, and I was like. For all the story that and we broke, and you guys broken, wore Top Gun jumpsuits, right? <laughs> we didn't wear pants. <laughs> what was your code name? For all the story that we broke here today, guys, 
the only thing that will remain broken after today is my heart. <laughs> and I rode off into the sunset. Nice. Um, yeah, it was just it was just just lots of laughs, you know. Let's take a quick break from our sponsors, and then we'll come back and talk about a very very important news development. Today's episode of The Watch is sponsored in part by Delta Airlines and their Delta Studio. You know, airline travel, what a miracle. You get to go from one side of the country or world to another, but it's also a great opportunity to catch up on pop culture. Delta Studio offers access to every type of entertainment for every passenger 100% for free it's over like a thousand hours of entertainment you could choose from up to 300 movies yet HBO Showtime 18 channels of live satellite television on select flights podcasts thousands of songs TV shows and games Delta has partnered with content partners including HGTV Refinery29 Food Network Hulu Originals WNYC Studios Curious World Headspace and Disney XD so dig into the Delta Studio today stream on your laptop iPhone an iPad or Android tablet device by downloading the GoGo in-flight app today. Hey guys, this episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Sonos. You know, whenever I get home, I always turn on music as soon as I walk in the door. It just sets the mood in my home. But even with my speakers on full volume, I can never really hear what song was playing throughout my house. You know, I have to turn it all the way up in the living room just to hear it in the kitchen. That's until I got Sonos. Sonos is a wireless home sound system that fills your home with pulse pounding sound. And all you have to do is position your speaker wherever you want it, plug it in, tap the app, and you can stream anything you want via Wi-Fi. Just like that. No wires, no tricky programming, no kidding. With the Sonos app, you can control everything from anywhere in the house. Play a different song in the living room, bedroom, even the bathroom. Or if you're having a party, you can play the same track in every room, but you can adjust the volume and manage other settings straight from your phone. From your favorite music streaming services to your entire collection of downloads, including audiobooks and podcasts, Sonos lets you play it all. You can enjoy all the sounds you love anywhere in your home. Just go to Sonos.com to learn more. That's S-O-N-O-S.com. Guys, this is in variety. True Detective is coming Wait, back the, to life. The 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 uh, the, ta- the the trade the trade yeah, paper. the Hollywood trade yeah. the Hollywood Hang on your shingles boys. This is in the Hollywood trade paper variety. Uh huh. True Detective is coming back to life for a third season with a little help from HBO veteran David Milch. <laughs> this what I, the I fuck exclaimed. Out loud yeah. when I read this. I Nothing could make me happy. I wrote a direct message to Jack at Twitter, and I was yeah. like, retweet isn't hard enough. <laughs> what are we doing to get me a more powerful way of liking this story? Before I let you guys just just, just take over here, because they're, you're, you guys are, are just pawing, pawing at the, <laughs> the dirt like we're in a, a bull ring. Um, this is impossible. This is uh, scientifically the, impossible yep. that this could this will happen and, and, and here's why so just a little backstory True Detective season one everyone except me loved it True Detective season two oh, did you not love it no I'm that, that's that's Man. tattooed on my head oh, I'm the guy yeah, that. I'm the okay. yeah season two love Colin Farrell mm-hmm. but generally people didn't love it no it was straight up bad yeah you could say it yeah um Thus putting the True Detective project in jeopardy. Correct. Now, I had thought that, you know, Nick Pizzolatto, who uh, who created the show. Oh, uh, like a, 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 a literary wunderkind, a young, if you will. A young genius. Um, <laughs> the Dickens of Ojai. <laughs> truly. Truly. Um, 
he had an overall deal with HBO. The, the, the impression I got was that he would be quietly put onto other projects and maybe True Detective would go forward And he started working on other stuff. He did a version. I don't know how much of it. I know what I can tell is definitely him from yeah. Magnificent Seven, but most of it is not. Oh, but yeah. He wrote right. a lot of, obviously, Peter Sarsgaard's speeches in that movie. Really? Is, yeah. the, is, is there a lot of stuff about the secret occult history of the public transportation It's about system? economic populism. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Love it. And, and Sarsgaard. Yes. If you can imagine, really choose it up. Does he a little bit? If you can imagine a world in which Peter Sars got yeah. really makes a meal like, out of those words, it's really, hard hard to go to a, that place. He's a Raldo's Chapmaning. Like he's just like I'm throwing 105 for one inning, and then I'm out. <laughs> Fuck my shoulder forever. Yeah. I'm throwing um, uh, sports. So, so I never thought that would happen, uh, and yet okay. So maybe how to put this into words? He's not someone who's going to take help. You know what I mean? He wasn't asking for help. I can't imagine he would take any. So help. it's interesting. Then they, they brought in. The oh, yeah. Shakespeare of the Santa Ana racetracks. Yes. Oh, I think that David you're Milch. overthinking this. And okay. I think that you don't understand how Hollywood works really, man. Wow. So here's I've a little story. I've been in story. the writer's room with NH for too long. <laughs> here's a little story from the Hollywood Reporter from back in 2014. Ooh, that's the, the Hollywood trade? That's yeah, the, the trade Hollywood paper. trade called the Hollywood Reporter. Wow. Quote, Look at him with the transom wire here. <laughs> he had a fundamental uncertainty about whether television as a medium could sustain work of the seriousness that he wanted to bring of it to it recalls Milch upon meeting Pizzolatto to convince him to do True Detective season one. Stop. Quote, I felt that it was important to reassure him that it could. Wow. He calls Pizzolatto's work one of the best writers I've encountered. So it's already a mutual appreciation society wow. going on here. I it's not a surprise. That. Now, I don't want to, we shouldn't tell, I would, I would not feel comfortable talking about this had it not been very well publicized that David Milch has lost millions of dollars betting on horses. Oh, yeah. Yes. Including the ones that he bet on that then dropped dead on the set of life. He has had and, to sell his mansion yeah. in California. He had to sell a vine- an estate in Martha's Vineyard. Damn. He lives in a in a modest home yeah. where he works on his on his adaption of Peter Matheson's Shadow Country, which will probably never come out. <laughs> he had an amazing pilot about a like a Murdoch, a Rupert Murdoch-esque family oh, money, called right? Money that, that never got made, but Adam <laughs> McKay is making a very similar show too. Can you run down the IMDb for people who don't know who David Milch is? Yeah, sure. David Milch. Do you want to take the... You, David Milch writes <clears throat> a spec episode of Hill Street Blues yeah. that gets into the hands of the people at Hill Street Blues and they hire him to write on the show and they say, we're actually going to shoot this episode. That episode wins an Emmy. <laughs> I think that's right. right. So I'm he's one for thought, one. So yeah. like he so he is like fully formed, creates NYPD Blue, um, then uh, and this is back in Deadwood a time is, when there's like nine shows. Oh, so and if you NYPD get one, Blue is transformative yeah, on yeah. television. Is enormous. Um, then creates like top five shows of all time for me. Deadwood, yes, like truly just top yep. to bottom flawless. Uh, except for the bottom, which is flawed because it does not end correctly. <laughs> so asterisk on that. But uh, uh, then in a real surprise uh, to turn about, he makes John from Cincinnati. Yeah. Which is fundamentally flawed. Have you revisited that recently? I have not. Okay. It's a tough hang. It is. Do you know that the that Milch um, only wanted Ed O'Neill to play Al Swearingen in Deadwood? Really? And HBO would not hire Ed O'Neill. Why not? Don't know. Wasn't he in, like, The Rock at that time? Like, wasn't that, like, a good look for them? I don't... They were not psyched for Ed O'Neill, and they hired Ian McShane, who I think turns in a legendary performance. A performance which apparently Milch hated. 
Get the fuck out of here. Wow. That, I, I, this is what this is could very well be apocryphal, but this is what I've heard that Milch had it so much in his mind that it was Ed O'Neill that he could never. To be clear, Ed, you're talking about Al Bundy. Al Bundy. Yeah. Correct. Yes. I'm talking put about. Put it in layman's terms. I'm talking about <laughs> from, from John from Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, oh, not Ed Harris. That's what I thought we were oh, talking about sorry, for a second. That's why I was like, no, 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 Al Rock. My bad. Yeah. And I was like, maybe he is in The Rock. Uh, <laughs> I was doing that too. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's been a while since I've been for the time. Maybe he cuts Sean Connery's hair. You can see Ed O'Neill in The Rock. Is that a prison? Is that a prison we're going to? That's my Ed O'Neill. You say really good Ed O'Neill. Especially without any prep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but apparently he could never get on board for uh, McShane's uh, swear engine, which wow. I find fascinating. Do you remember, I, I, you know what, I'm going to not put it in the form of a question because I already know you do remember this, but there was a New Yorker profile oh, yes. of Milch during the time of Deadwood that visits him An incredible in profile. his trailer. Have, wait, have you seen, yes, have you seen the extra, the special features of Deadwood? It no. has a documentary where this is featured. No. What you're about to tell when us. When he is Go lying. Ahead. Correct. Uh, is he lying supine? He, he, lies, he's lying? he lies on his side because his back is bad. Right. And he dictates. There are writers who don't do anything. And then there is, I'm assuming, a writer's assistant. There's a huge screen. In the most recent feature I read on Milch from 2016 in the Buffalo News, a muscular man named Scott types his scripts for him. Yeah. So this is somebody else is typing. And he dictates the script. So he'll be sitting there and he'll be like, swear engine, fuck you, you motherfucker. No, take it back. Uh, <laughs> swear engine, you motherfucker, fuck you. You know, like he's just dictating and going back and fixing. And just like, to- it's, it's so interesting yeah. to watch what I think is one of like the top five TV writers of all time work in a way that is radically atypical to how it's done. Yeah, and Greenwald, you've interviewed your fair share of TV writers. You've now yeah. become one. Yeah. You have to admit that they are not always the it's, most dynamic personalities. It's not just that. That's true. It's, okay, two points to be made that you're exactly right about. One is, yes, because the modern job of being a showrunner is very different than being a wordsmith or a writer. You have to be a manager. You have to work with talent. You have to work with people. You have to you have to do so many different things. So you and now you have to give interviews. Right. And you have to be the public face of the show as much as the actors. So that is definitely part of it that is different. Than and Milch's this guy day. is like a but, character out of a Steely Dan song. But it's also the facts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For look, writing on TV, I is, would take a Steely Dan <laughs> concept album about David Milch. Or any day of the dictated week. Dictated by David. Yale Law School with I, George Bush, drug addict, compulsive gambler, yeah. like in like created by PD Blue. It's just insane. But I to be clear, as great as the writing on TV is on many of these Pantheon shows, very few of them, I think, are lauded for the precision of their words. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, the the storytelling, certain lines, certain oh, bits yeah. of dialogue, but they're generally, they're crafted, they're sanded, they're rewritten. They, they are rarely so completely the voice of one person. You know, we would compare, I'm sure people like Richard Price, who writes for the screen as well, when he's writing his novels, you know, does the games out the rhythm of the swears? Mm-hmm. But, like, but the, on TV, like, no. Like I would say or Mammoth, also on top five show, The Wire, I would not say is the voice of David Simon. Correct. It is not the voice, you know, of 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 those guys. It is it is Richard Price. It is George Pelicanos. It is all those writers that right. that contribute the, to the to what makes that show magnificent. You know, Milch is like Sorkin. I think probably the Milch, only other one who you're like Sorkin, only one person. Yeah, it's this. inimitable. Yeah. Amy Sherman Paladino. Sherman Paladino, yeah. I mean, for me, that's right. That is the, like those people in the last twenty years are the true original voices of television. You I know, Milch, and and you know what? I'll put Matt Weiner in there. 
But even that, I wouldn't. If you put a page of Matt Weiner dialogue, you know what? You're right. I wouldn't necessarily be like that's completely different than Vince Gilligan. But I would say that Weiner is unique in the way he like built a season and the dreamy things. But 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 that dialogue specific, Milch Sorkin, uh, Andy Sherman, Pellegrino. And Pizzolatto. Well, here we go. And Pizzolatto. So (laughs) since Deadwood, and Deadwood had sort of a disappointing ending, and there was always talk about either a season three or a movie to wrap things up, and apparently it had gotten pretty close, and then they took down the sets in, I think, in British Columbia. So they took down the sets. No, it was just north of here. Oh, was it really? Deadwood, we're talking Deadwood, right? Yeah. Yeah. Deadwood was the largest ever um, set built. Standing set, Because they built the entire town Town, of Deadwood. And that was like the kind of thing was like they took the town down and that was when there was a like real like, well, I guess they're not really really not going to do it. I mean, by all accounts, this script exists. Like in the- For his movies. In this Buffalo News feature, they're like the Deadwood movie script is on his shelf. Yeah. So- since then, he's made John from Cincinnati, obviously a flawed show, one season, or only one season, one season, right? Then later, he did Luck in 2012, which Andy and I had a hell of a good time talking about, but not very many people watched, and many horses died for. Yeah. Um, and that- there was a great cop, uh, period cop show uh, pilot that was an HBO that never went. Right. The, that it I was read. The, the and the it was precinct. Great. What was it called? The 17th something or like something that, like that? Yeah. Or the 74th? It's like a, mm-hmm. after. It was a great pilot. Yeah. Script. And he wrote Money, which is this Murdoch thing I was talking which about. Which McShane was going to be in. Right. Right. Or, uh, and then he has been working on an adaption of this this amazing Peter Matheson novel called Shadow Country, which is about 1900s Florida it, settlers. It, hmm. I, I, think, I, I think the thing to think about here is it's very hard to imagine two rampaging alphas collaborating. Oh. In so this let me way. tell you why I think this is going to be a good thing. Okay. Okay. So since Deadwood, I feel like he actually has followed a trajectory that kind of mirrors the person he collaborated on luck with, Michael Mann, which is after, say, Heat, Mann just increasingly gets more and more like diffuse. It's like the, the idea of the movie that you think you want to watch is right there. And mm-hmm. for me, as a, like a crazy Michael Mann fanatic, I don't care if it's Black Hat or not. Like, I'll watch it just purely for the visuals, if nothing else. <sighs> but. And I love Michael Mann, yeah. but I could not abide right. that movie. But this is what's been happening in Milch, too. He's been kind of like going farther and farther and farther off menu to the point where it's like, luck is kind of about horse racing, but it's also about God, but it's also about like, I don't know what, fathers. To have something where it's like, okay, I'm a gun for hire. I'm coming in to fix this wow. piece of, of intellectual property, this other guy who would not even have really made this show had it not been for me in the first place. Yeah. Not only just because of, you know, like I helped him encouragement-wise, but because I kind of opened up the world for this kind of television writing anyway. And now all I have to do is basically give him a place, a time, and a couple of characters, and he and I can collaborate or not or whatever – but, you know, I think that it's in some ways a very logical thing for, to have happen. Wow, this is optimism of the sort you rarely see in this town except in the trade papers. I want that. You know, my hope that what comes out of this is either an amazing show that, Chris, you just outlined or an unbelievable documentary about how this I, thing uh, went south. About he, two guys sitting in a bar in Ohio talking about, like, Nietzsche. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I, I feel like there is a there is a cynical version of how this may have gone down. And I have no inside knowledge about this, but I think it's either what you described, which would be amazing, and you suggested maybe there was some mutual admiration, and that would have to be the first step for these two guys to actually respect each other on some level for this even possibly to work. But there's also a version of it where 
Uh, there's a new president at HBO, Casey Bloys, comes in and he looks at what's on the ledger and they see that Milch still has his overall deal mm-hmm. and like, what's he working on? So they call him in or they or they meet him at the racetrack and they're like, look, David, we need to, we want to get you to work. Like we want to use your talent for something and we still owe you X amount of money on the deal. So you have your choice. You can go to work on either uh, True Detective, Divorce. <laughs> divorce or, season two. Or, or after <laughs> Let the- Let me th- tell you something. We're getting fucking divorced. <laughs> or After the Throne season two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there you go. As I think I can disclose in this podcast, we met with him. Oh, of course. <laughs> the problem was Chris also was lying down. Yeah. And yeah. he found that disrespectful. <laughs> and he chose- I was dictating to him. Weirdly, weirdly yeah. that was his first mistake. So he chose this, and it just strikes me as a sort of thing that, like, maybe it's an attempt to light fires under both of them to make it public. I don't know. I think that I would not be surprised if nothing came of this. So I think that with you could read about this, but this is something. This is something very. It's a valuable property for HBO, no matter what. Twelve million people watched like the last time. True Detective. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense that if they're like, "Do you want to do a crime show?" and you want to do a crime show, well, we have this crime show, quote unquote. Yeah. That can be anything. Why don't you guys do it together? I just wish that it was a thing where they just gave it to him. Jason. I, just, like, I, I wish they just gave, oh, they just gave it to Milch. Your oh, year, year. And then I someone else gets that. another year. I, I, like conceptually, I love yeah. the idea of every year it's a crime story that told by a different unique yeah. uh, voice and a different unique visual stylist. Yeah. Amy Sherman Palladino great. season would be by the way, fire. Oh, I would I would watch that for one million years. Did you watch <laughs> Mrs. Meisel? Of course I did. The Isn't second it came the out? The minute it came yeah. out, I watched. I what, read it the minute it was released. What do you think? Uh, I fucking loved it. It's wonderful. I loved it. But I'm like, again, I watched every episode of Bunheads. <laughs> I watched, I've watched every episode of Gilmore Girls yeah. multiple times. How many times did you watch the seven. new ones? Just once. I okay. only watched the new ones once. Um, but like, I'm like, all in on Gilmore Girls, and 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 so this was. Did you audition for that as well? Uh, I know, but I did. Uh, the I was in one of the um, one of the only other things that I have been like to my agents when it was announced, like I will do anything. In this was the Gilmore Girls revival, and they let me do like a thirty second yeah. bit. See, I didn't, I didn't know that yeah. because I have not watched that. <laughs> oh, I understand, but it was too much samurai. I was so excited. Wow. And I'm just like part of, I'm one side of a telephone call. You know what I mean? Like I could not be less yeah. showy or flashy, I, but I was like, yes, anything you want me to do, I will do it 1 million percent. And you feel this way about David Milch. Like he is your, oh. I, I feel like we didn't even get to the fact that you are one love. of the nation's leading Milchologists. Love. I love David Milch. Like, be- Deadwood, like NYPD Blue hit me at the right time. And because yeah. NYPD Blue was the first kind of tip into what is now television. It's true. And it ultimately was, it kind of opened the door a crack and then the door got closed again for like 10 years. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's really like Milch opens the door and people like don't know what to do with yeah, it. Yeah, they like homicide gets made. Yep. Is homicide pretty much concurrent with NYPD Blue or after? It's, it's a little bit after, it's, right? It starts a little bit after, but, but they were exists at the same at time. The same time. Right. Yes. Um, another phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal show. Um, but then, like, that style, like, that edginess on network television goes away, and it's a couple of years until it starts mm-hmm. up on, you know, with, like, Sopranos and Six Feet Under and stuff like that, yeah. you know? And so he's really the person that was ex- making something exciting when I was at an age that exciting things were like, ooh, wait, this is cool what's happening. Yeah, and it's funny because it, it seems almost hard now to not get your TV show made. There are just simply so many shows, so many things out there. And TV has become the place where people in other fields have now, I mean, like Amazon going out and and paying Woody Allen to make a TV show. Woody Allen, who said, like, I don't care about TV shows. I'll just chop up an old script. It seems 
patently unfair that a master of the form, one of the few, as we're saying, sure. masters of the form, can't get a show on the air when literally everyone else I seems know. to be able to. Well, but he also operates on such an enormous level. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's not making... Like small, like one of the reasons that everybody gets to make TV now is because everybody's making TV at a price, right? You know, and he's David, like, build me a town. Yes, David Milch just do, does not. He's make like, we got to kill price. these horses, like yeah. for real. He's like, oh no, you <laughs> think this is special effects? <laughs> you no, know, I yeah. mean it's like it's all practical and it's all enormous. Can you, yeah, your point exactly. Can like, you imagine horses his pass, have to die? His pass on <laughs> Battle of the Bastards episode <laughs> like, <laughs> would be amazing. Like redlining everything yeah. is like, oh no, there literally yeah. would not be a CIA building if he directed Homeland. She's got to take it out. I have a question for you. Yeah. How do you feel about probably my the most important piece of Milch ephemera, which is his episode of Dinner for Five? Oh, I don't know that I've seen it. Holy shit. The Favreau show? Yeah. Oh, I don't think I've seen it's it. It's him, Oliphant, oh, wow. Jay Moore, Jay Michael Moore. Rappaport, Rappaport. Oh, and, God. And, and Fav, Favreau. Okay. All right. And Milch just telling stories about being in a frat with George Bush. Oh, or uh, Don Simpson calling him up to do rewrites on Bad Boys 2, and he lost all his money on a horse, so he had to do it. And he was, like, oh. stuck in Florida. And he's like, I was, I was down in Florida. I was like, I was on a bender in Florida. <laughs> and Don Simpson calls me up and goes, you motherfucker, this script is the worst fucking thing. And he's like, because he hasn't leveled out from his dependencies. Oh. And it's like, R.I.P. Don Simpson. That's, <laughs> that's just the like, shit that's like... <laughs> He's like, maybe that's the other reason that I love Milch is like, I do love monsters. Yeah. And there are so few monsters left. He's the bridge to like the Robert Evans era of like, yes, I'm going to put you in a fucking freezer locker until you come out of here with towering. If you just listen to Milch talk about David Caruso leaving NYPD (laughs) Blue after season one, it's like next level yeah, yeah he's like you fuck you fuck you fucked me it's like he's just like old like he like like i feel like he's, and then he'll be like at the end of the, like but of course our daughters are quite close yeah he does that trump yes. thing where he's like you're a piece of human trash but i love you and yes. i see you on the golf course on sunday it's yeah. like what's the norman mailer movie with rip torn oh I love everything you're saying. I wish I could finish that <laughs> Ma- thought. Maidenhead? Oh, fuck. What's it called? Norman Mailer makes a movie. I don't even think it ever gets released. It's chaos. It's yeah. chaos. It, and in the movie, Rip Torn is like on all the drugs and, and fa- all their families are around. And he's, Mailer, I believe, is the, pr- I've never seen the movie, but there's this clip. Yeah. Uh, where Rip Torn attacks Norman Mailer with an actual hammer. Yes, I've heard about this. <laughs> and it's all on film. Yeah. The children are all around her, are crying and weeping. And then it cuts to footage of Mailer, who's been hit in the head with a hammer. <laughs> and he's like, this fuck, this fuck tried to kill me. Bop, 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 bop. And then he goes to the effect of, but I got to give it to him. It's exactly what the character would have done. <laughs> Okay, but like those, like, like those monsters. Let's bring it back. Seventies monsters. Let's turn the camera back around to you, though, Jason. You're here with us. You're here a, I am. You're a fan of old Hollywood. Sure. You're a fan of monsters. I listen to the You Must Remember This podcast. You, you love <laughs> you love stories. You love glamour. <laughs> yes. um, you've worked on many projects. I have many many projects. This is up to you. The level of honesty sure. and, uh, that you want and it, that you would like to bring to the microphone today. Absolutely. You probably have worked on things that were suboptimal. Sure. I don't know if any of them were like Heaven's Gate, biblically bad, but you know you have worked on things. I have. Is it fun to be in the maelstrom, or is it only fun to be telling the anecdotes later? It really depends. It really depends on. Uh, uh, um, okay, I've got such good stories that I don't want it, that I cannot tell. The politics meter in his yes. eyes are um, is moving. I, it really okay. This is what I'll say. 
for a prolonged period, it is immobilizing and infuriating. Okay. You know, when you're on something that is off the rails, yeah. you it really is like you feel and you're and you're in it until the end. I yeah. mean, you are it seems hopeless. What's the tell? Is it always like yeah, can craft you tell services, right away? The, the shaky no, hand you with can't the egg tell right, or... you can't tell right away. Sometimes you can tell right away and then sometimes it's not until you're in it for a while and you're like what? <laughs> My call time was 6 a.m. It's 6 p.m. and we have not shot yet. What's, what's going on? You know, or uh, stuff like that. Um, but I had something happen just recently where we had like one day of chaos yeah. on a job. One day of true chaos. And it was so, and it, then it's what you're describing. Of, it's all stories. Right. Yeah. It's all stories because it was only the day. And the day, and the day lasted like 15 hours. But it was just one day. And so right. for the rest of time, I've got great stories that are amazing, but they did not impede or impact my life to right. any great Because degree. I guess there are gradations of it. Because <laughs> when, you're in, when you're at the whims of the fury of an ego monster, sure. something like that's, that's not good in the moment or really no. not good ever. No. But you hear stories that can be quite endearing. Like for some reason I jumped to like Wet Hot American Summer, the movie. Mm-hmm. The people who went to film that movie, many of whom are now quite <laughs> famous – Went to a summer camp. Oh, yeah. And it rained every day. Sure. And they just got drunk and they were stuck in the rain and stuck in the mud. Yep. And then that's like, oh, that's like, let's put on a show. There's something endearing about show business when you hear those stories. Well, that's it's everybody not going through a shared something. Experience. Yes, a shared experience. Right. And that only bonds them together. Right. Um, the problem can be when it can also bond people together when they share a common problem or enemy right. or whatever it is on a set as well and that can also be bring everybody together and 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 build relationships there's so many ways that things can be wrong yeah. from from that from the kind of like oh my god yeah. like the circumstances or the elements are making this trying and difficult to the people involved are making this trying and difficult right. to Oh, we're all doing our best, but this might just not be up to it, you know, or whatever. Last time you were here, we talked a little bit about when you, you've you been able to basically dive bomb into projects or show up on things and sure. do the stuff that you do and, and bring the comedy that you bring. And it sounds like it's a lot of fun. People understand, yeah. what, you know, what you're what you're great at. You come on, you have a good time. Do you always, though, try to come to a project with a baseline of expectation, which is to say, I'm just going to work today? Or has your good experience showing up on Brooklyn Nine-Nine or the league or whatever colored your your experiences to the point where you're like, if it's not fun and play, I'm out on this? No, Well, hmm. um, I'm lucky in the sense that a lot of the stuff that I get to do is projects that I are either <clears> – <throat> I've gotten to the point now where a lot of stuff I do is because my friends are making it. Yeah. Um, or my peers are making it or whatever. So that so that I get to come into things that are oftentimes formed already. You know, like I don't show up until season two of the league. You know, like I don't come into Brooklyn Nine-Nine until season three right. or four maybe even. Um, and so <clears throat> for me, A, it's a known quantity. And B, there's shows that I'm already familiar with and right. my friends are on and I like. And I and it's a humming machine at that Of point. course. And so that those are no-brainers. There are other things that I'll do that are like, oh, I'll try that, you know, because of, you know, usually I'll try that happens because of there are players involved that I'm curious about, you know, Christ. or, or, you know, whatever, you know, like I'm, 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 I like, I, you know, I did not know what, like, um, what Lady Dynamite was going to be, but like, I love Maria. I love Mitch. I love Pam. Like, yeah, of course I'll do an episode of that, you know, mm-hmm. and the show is hilarious and fantastic, you know? So, 
but it it was it hadn't aired yet, so I didn't know what it was. I wasn't going into something I knew, but I knew all those people, and so at that point, I'm like, oh, I'll take a, take a leap of faith on all you guys because yeah. you're geniuses. But have you ever taken a job just for the potential stories? Have you ever done a Roland Emmerich movie? No. That's, that's, that's basically what I'm asking. <laughs> I did punch. I did punch up once a day of like writers' room writing. I've done. I've taken a lot more writing jobs yeah. that are that that because they're short. Like I did a day of comedy punch up for Transformers yeah. three or four. I can't remember which one. <laughs> terrific. That was bananas, you know. And like because Michael Bay ran the room. My only question to my agents when they said that was like, "Is Michael Bay going to be there?" They were like, "He's running the room," and I was like, "I will one hundred percent be yeah. there." Noted yeah. comedian Michael Bay. Yeah, and it was awesome. If you've seen the making <clears throat> of Thirteen Hours, you know he loves to that laugh. Guys, that guy's a parallel. <laughs> what? Just tell us. It was please. awesome. What? It was fascinating. There was they was were, he like, I, "Let's <clears throat> fucking get in it." Like, yeah. That's oh bad. yeah. Oh, he wanted to dig in, and uh, ostensibly, and I can't remember which movie it is now, three or four. It, we were there to write jokes for the scenes that included T.J. Miller's character yeah. because he was the oh, comedic okay, sure. you know, element in that one. And so that was what we were doing. And it was super fun, but it was wild because it was on a process level, unlike any – usually if I go to a room like that, it's a bunch of comedians and we're just pitching jokes on whatever movie we're pitching jokes on. But this – there were animatics for the whole movie. So he's like, okay, so this scene takes place in a bakery in China. <laughs> Alex, Alex, show him the thing. Show him the thing. And then they would play us an animatic. And we would be like, oh, okay. Got it. Got, got. And then we would kind of pitch jokes, you know, for them to say in a bakery in China or whatever it was. And it was fascinating. It was like really interesting to come at comedy from a place of a robot being in a Chinese paper. Yes, yeah. from a completely different place. It was really, it was, I thoroughly enjoyed it and would do it again in a heartbeat, you know? I don't think that we could top uh, Transformers Chinese Bakery. Did you have anything you wanted no, to No, just to say that Michael up? Bay does listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, oh. So <laughs> I think that there's a good chance you'll be back. I hope so. I had such a good day. Uh, can, can we ask you to, would you, would you like to, to, to plug anything? People say that, right? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, I'll, I'm one of the hosts of a podcast called How Did This Get Made on the Earwolf Network. Terrific if podcast. Sweaty cans on that show. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. Sweaty, sweaty really cans. Sweaty comedy cans. Uh, yeah, you can listen to that, you know, and then watch, you know. You're around. You know, I'll pop up. Watch on, Prestige Television. You're I'll bound pop to pop up, up, up eventually. Nine Nine or uh, other things. So, yeah. True Detective Season things. 3. Let's Are you calling that. your agent and just being like whatever the they need? One. Yeah. Oh, if Milch is involved, absolutely. Like a child pimp. I will show up if Milch is <laughs> a in. A child who is a pimp no, or like, someone pimping children? <laughs> Either one. Because this man could do both. <laughs> oh, I'll do it. Look at the range. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do both parts. You yes. McGregor season three Fargo yes, style. Yes. yes. All right, Jason Manzikas, thank you so much for joining us. We are so Thank happy you to guys for us. having thank me. You. What a blast. Great job to all the Baranskis. Thanks again to Delta Studio for sponsoring today's show. Delta Studio offers access to over a thousand hours of every type of entertainment for every passenger, 100% for free. You can choose from up to 300 movies, HBO, Showtime, 18 channels of live satellite television on select flights, podcasts, thousands of songs, TV shows, and games. Delta has even partnered with content partners, including HGTV, Refinery29, Food Network, Hulu Originals, WNYC Studios, Curious World, Headspace, and Disney XD. Stream Delta Studio on your laptop, iPhone, iPad, or Android tablet device by downloading the GoGo Entertainment app. 
Hey guys, this episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Sonos. You know, whenever I get home, I always turn on music as soon as I walk in the door. It just sets the mood in my home. But even with my speakers on full volume, I can never really hear what song was playing throughout my house. You know, I have to turn it all the way up in the living room just to hear it in the kitchen. That's until I got Sonos. Sonos is a wireless home sound system that fills your home with pulse pounding sound. And all you have to do is position your speaker wherever you want it, plug it in, tap the app, and you can stream anything you want via Wi-Fi. Just like that. No wires, no tricky programming, no kidding. With the Sonos app, you can control everything from anywhere in the house. Play a different song in the living room, bedroom, even the bathroom. Or if you're having a party, you can play the same track in every room, but you can adjust the volume and manage other settings straight from your phone. From your favorite music streaming services to your entire collection of downloads, including audiobooks and podcasts, Sonos lets you play it all. You can enjoy all the sounds you love anywhere in your home. Just go to Sonos.com to learn more. That's S-O-N-O-S.com.